I was living in Huntington Beach when I was in first grade. That was the first time I was offered a joint. I took it and I lost it. I really don't know what happened to that joint, but it disappeared. In sixth grade, I was living uh, just south of East LA in the greater East LA area. And the first of a handful of times that I succeeded to get enough of the THC into my blood to notice a difference. Although in sixth grade and then subsequently in seventh and eighth grade, I had such a hard time (coughs) that I think that prevented me from getting very much in there. I moved to Indiana for my freshman and sophomore year, and though I knew exactly where I could go if I wanted marijuana, is it, is it not working? Okay. Uh, I knew exactly where to go in Indiana if I wanted to get some marijuana, but I chose instead to hang around with friends who were much more interested in wine coolers or in mixing the alcohol that my dad had in his basement with fruit juice and all my other friends had alcohol in their basements that we can get our hands in too. Moved back to California my junior year and I became friends with a guy whose older brother was a pot dealer and a handful of times we made our way over to his house way out in the sticks uh, west of Corona, California. I became a Christian, uh, plus or minus, right at the beginning of my senior year in high school. And I I really can't tell you exactly, was it before school started or after school started, but one Friday night we were heading out towards the sticks and we got to my friend's brother's house and I said to Mike, Mike, dude, this is stupid. If they catch us smoking doobie, they're going to kick us off the cross-country team. With that tremendous spiritual insight, my career smoking dope ended. Yes, that's not the most wonderful spiritual reason not to smoke marijuana, but it was the one that God used to get me off it. Now, I have to say, I was never a pothead. I never looked like a pothead. I never really got high very many times. But I will say, it was extraordinarily easy for me to get my hands on, and any time... Any day I was at school, I could easily get some, and more than once, in fact, did. Now, since then, and even after that, after becoming a Christian, and then those first several years of being a Christian, but not really understanding what Christianity was all about, temptations lay elsewhere for me. And it wasn't until I got plugged in, and you've heard parts of this story before, at First Baptist Church in Corona, where I really started to get to know people who loved Jesus, where I started to hear the famous Christian argument, Romans 13, pot is illegal, therefore Christians can't smoke pot. How many of you have heard that argument? How many of you have ever said that argument? Okay, I'm not looking. You can raise your hand. Now listen. Every thoughtful Christian knows that that is not a good argument against the use of marijuana. 
This answer is woefully ignorant and misses the main point that I want to convince you of tonight. The truly Christian answer is why you do what you do is more important than what you do. Why you do what you do is more important than what you do. I take this from 1 Corinthians 10.31, which says, whether you eat or whether you drink, do it all for the glory of God. Whether you eat or drink or whatever it is that you do, do it all for the glory of God. My friend, not only is the illegal, it's illegal answer woefully ignorant, and it misses the point of the truly answer, the truly Christian answer, it is also now wrong. There are several states in this formerly great union that pot is legal in, and in most others, including California, it is now decriminalized. You can carry pot on your person and you're not going to go to jail. What you'll get instead is a ticket for an infraction that totals $100. If you're a pothead, that's no big deal. You sell enough pot and you can cover that $100 fairly quickly. So my question is, should the elders, deacons, or staff at Grace Baptist Church in Santa Maria, California be allowed to smoke pot? If the answer is yes to that question, under what conditions can they smoke that pot and where can they smoke that pot? That is the gauntlet. That is the question. And we need to look at a number of facts so that we can examine what the biblical witness about this question is. The first is, I'm just going to state, marijuana is legal. I'm not here to argue about the legality of marijuana use, issues about the cost of incarceration, court costs, and other arguments that are always at the forefront of this particular discussion from a political point of view are not before us tonight. We're not going to consider these. The biblical view of how a Christian ought to weigh, relate to marijuana is actually far beyond its legality or illegality. And it is worth pausing for a moment to comment on the it's legal so don't do it argument. By definition, if something is merely legal, if something is legal, then you have to understand that's the limit. That's the stop. That's, that is the end of what is acceptable. You're allowed to do this and no more. By the way, you know that speed limit sign that says 55 miles an hour? That's not the lower limit. That's the upper limit. You're not supposed to drive faster than 55. Some of you didn't know that, am I right? <laughs> and so, this whole idea of what is acceptable is hardly a good argument or a good standard for Christians to do or not do anything. The Christian is called to do far more than what is merely allowed. We are called not merely to be tolerant, for example. We are called to love. Jesus says, love 
your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. God doesn't just stop at being nice or letting evil people off. He loves us and He pursues us and He chases us down until He catches us and showers us with that love. Furthermore, the it's illegal argument fails because although it remains true that we ought not to flippantly discard the law, I'm not saying that you should just flippantly discard whatever law is going on. We as Christians are to live for the best for those around us, not merely what the law will allow. 1 Corinthians says, all things are lawful. He's quoting the Corinthians. But not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good by taking a good, you know, couple good tokes off the dope, but the good of his neighbor. And it's hard to be about the good of your neighbor when you're puffing on the green stuff. Merely legal is never a Christian response to anything because we are to seek the good of our neighbor. This is the definition of love, not the definition of legal. Why you do what you do is more important than what you do in most cases. Whether you eat or whether you drink or whatever it is that you do, do it all for the glory of God. Now, if you go out on the internet, the second most important topic that you're going to run into besides the it's legal argument is a discussion about the possible medicinal benefits of marijuana. If you go, for example, to the almost knowing Google, you will find all kinds of websites that tout the medicinal benefits of using dope. Almost all of them are biased. They are almost all saying, look how good it is. Probably, I think, because most of the people writing these websites have killed a sufficient number of brain cells by smoking the weed themselves. But, unfortunately, they are, for the most part, logically weak or downright disingenuous. Now, but that is not always true. There are some websites that purport to give good arguments about the medicinal value of marijuana. And I think some of those websites, if you go and look at them, you will find some... The study that I relied on the most as I was looking into was a meta-study that was commissioned by the White House. A meta-study is one that takes a look at other studies that have been published. So some doctors at this particular university do a study about glaucoma and the use of marijuana, for example, and they have several peers, doctors, who look at this study and say, this is a decent study, we can publish this. And so you take a good number of these kinds of studies and you have one group of doctors study the studies. It's called a meta-study. Well, the White House commissioned such a study, and I did not read the whole thing. I read a few key excerpts from the study, but then concentrated my efforts on the conclusion of the study. And what you find is that 
they are very interested in focusing studies on the cannabinoids. The cannabinoids, there are a couple of different key chemicals that exist in the marijuana plant that produce its effects. The most famous is tetrahydrocannabal, THC. Tetrahydrocannabinoid, THC. Uh, and there's two others. One of them, I don't remember. But so what they've done is they said, we need to study these because what we have found is that there are anecdotal evidence that these work. Let me give you what I'm talking about. An anecdote is when you take a specific story, in this case, about how one patient was in fact helped by smoking or smoking dope or by using one of these cannabinoids, and they received some benefit. Somehow it was measurable, measurably beneficial. By far, what the studies have found is that they're either unable to prove any medicinal benefit or any benefits that have been given were this anecdotal kind. Now, if you read the National Geographic article, they spent more time emphasizing the medicinal uses, and they found several anecdotes of when these uses were um, purportedly beneficial. And one of them was they found a few young children who had a particularly severe form of seizures. And what they did is they took a very purified and liquid form of THC and they put it right between their lip and their teeth. And truly, it did a lot of good for these kids that they used it for. Notice, no one's smoking. They're using a purified form, and it had very limited but very significant benefits. The National Geographic article goes into quite a bit of, if you want to look at that. Also, cannabinoids were given to cancer patients, and because these oils from the plant, not smoking the pot, but oils from the plant were given, the cancer patients were able to regain their appetite and start gaining weight again because they had lost so much through the treatment. Also, Alzheimer's patients were able to be less agitated and eat more again. But in all of these studies, benefits were found in some, but were not found in others. What this White House uh, study pointed to was the fact that when these cannabinoids, the chemicals, the oils, either in pill or liquid form, were given to patients, sometimes they carried that benefit. But they also found that there are many, many attendant hazards to smoking the actual marijuana, and they did not recommend prescribing the smoking of the weed. And that is a crucial distinction that we need to understand when we're talking about the medicinal use of pot. It would not surprise anyone, I think, that if we discovered that those who are advocating the most strongly for medicinal use of marijuana 
are have in the back of their mind or are advocating for the recreational use, which is completely understandable, but honesty in this debate would be more than appreciated. And for the Christian, for us, this honesty is crucial. What is your goal in using the marijuana? Is it to try something that will work where other medicines have failed? Then perhaps it would be good to try. Paul told Timothy, no longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. However, watch yourself. Because like in so many other areas of our culture, TV, internet, gambling, or it's less sinister sounding, gaming, all of these are attendant with many hazards. And we must watch all of these. It's not only the smoking of marijuana that's a problem. And we must remind ourselves why you do what you do is very often more important than what you're doing in the first place. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Now you won't be surprised to hear another argument for those who are appealing to the Christian audiences, which surprises me that people do that, but they do. A lesser known argument in the debate is found in Genesis 1.29 where God says, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every green tree with seed and its fruit you shall have them for food. Now, of course, the proper response to this is okay, you can make your ganja uh, brownies, but it doesn't say you can smoke them. I think that's the point of their argument. The point of their argument is that they want to smoke the joint, not eat the brownies. And again, we must ask ourselves, is our heart right on this? Because why you do what you do is almost always more important than what you are doing. So this brings me to the main argument. This brings me to what is really at stake. Intoxication. Let's just throw it out there and be honest. If you smoke a joint, the point of the joint is to get a buzz. And anybody in this room who, like me, experimented with it at any point in their life, you know what that's like. And the dangers of knowing what that's like. Marijuana's supporter is going to argue that the purpose of the Christian drinking a beer is to get drunk. The purpose of a Christian drinking caffeine is to stay awake. The purpose of a Christian watching TV is to distract one from his or her responsibilities. So why wouldn't we spend more time talking about those than whether a Christian ought to partake in marijuana because proportionally is so much lower? My answer to that question is simple. Every sermon I preach, I talk about all those things. And so this is just kind of getting measure for the marijuana. But the point is taken. We Christians can pat ourselves on the back by saying, look how good we are. We've never touched a joint in our life. 
but we find ourselves addicted to television or we find ourselves addicted to our cell phones or we find ourselves addicted to all kinds of things that are legal and they're respectable, so get off my case. Right? And I want to, with all seriousness, ask, answer this question. Christians need to make sure, check your heart, that you're not addicted to some idol and all the while congratulating yourself this afternoon that, oh yeah, that sermon Pastor Greg's going to preach on marijuana doesn't apply to me, but I wish so-and-so would hear it. And what I won't do now is argue that the purpose for toking a joint is intoxication and the purpose for drinking a beer is to have a mild mood elevator. Some want to argue that the purpose for drinking a beer is different from getting high. My friends, this argument isn't going to fly. This argument isn't going to fly. If you're thinking to yourself, well, I can go and have my wine at dinner or I can go and have my beer and that's altogether a different thing than smoking marijuana, you may want to ask yourself some serious questions. You will not get biblical permission to smoke a joint or drink a glass of wine because its effects are or are not intoxicating. If anything, the part-time toker has a better argument than you do because the Bible never mentions ganja. But it talks about wine. And the Bible specifically forbids drunkenness. The Bible specifically forbids intoxication. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, I don't think there's anybody in this room who's going to say, well, you can't get drunk with wine, but you know what? You can go get it drunk with beer. That's okay, because that doesn't mention that in the Bible. Is anybody going to make that argument? I didn't think so. So if we're willing to extend the argument about getting drunk with wine or beer and spirits, I think by analogy, we can also extend this argument to marijuana and other drugs, licit or otherwise. If your point is to be intoxicated, listen carefully. If your point is to be intoxicated or high or drunk, whatever word you want to put there, then I believe this verse forbids the use of dope and drink of either beer or bud. So knock it off on either side of the argument. Remember my main point today, why you do. If it's to get intoxicated, if it's to get high, if it's to get drunk, whatever one of those forms you're most interested in, if the why of what you're doing is that, then don't do it. Period. Because it's specifically forbidden in the Bible. In fact, this whole intoxication or high or drunkenness argument is the best one for steering clear of marijuana and alcohol if it's something that you struggle with. When I go to my house or my mom's side of the family, I find at least two alcoholics every time. 
There's some Christmas thing going on. There's some birthday thing going on. There's some thing going on. And you'll find several of the guys, my uncle and my brother over there, and they're just hammering away the Coors Lights. And it's very sad. And I bet most people in this room know that sadness that I'm talking about. Because it destroys you from the inside out. And it kills you from the inside out. Now, none of my family that I know of use marijuana or cocaine. I don't know. But this is what I do know. That it takes you out of commission. At least for that amount of time, you're useless. Because you're not good for anything but being intoxicated at that moment. But you've got to notice the double-edged nature of this statement. Can you get high on dope and not be in violation of Ephesians 5.18? Maybe. Maybe not. Can you, get, can you go and have a beer or two and not be in violation of Ephesians 5.18? Maybe. Maybe not. But ultimately, for those who are serious Christians, for those who really want to pay attention to God's Word, this verse behind me, I think, is the main one that you want to consider. Am I smoking this weed? Am I drinking this glass of wine or this glass of beer for the glory of God? And secondly, my second best argument for the serious Christian, I'm stealing from Mark Driscoll. Mark Driscoll at the beginning of his argument said that he's been high on marijuana as many times as he's been pregnant. (laughs) And his final bottom line after he goes through all of his points, like I've just gone through all my points, his thing is grow up. Grow up. Up. 1 Corinthians 16, 13, and 14. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like a man. How's that for political correctness? Be strong and let all that you do be done in love. My friends, I don't see where taking a toke fits into that verse. Driscoll, I think, is wrong on many things, but I think he is right and dead right in his analysis of our American culture that we have emasculated ourselves by driving our young men to opposite absurdities. On the one hand, smoking weed and wasting their lives on video games. And on the other side, we've driven our men to pursuing extreme sports, extreme business, extreme anything, the experiences of which cannot validate a man's existence. They cannot validate a masculinity. So what does? This was an absolutely crucial question for me growing up. 
I was intensely interested in finding out what does it mean to be a man. Because I had plenty of stereotypes that told me that being a man was getting a whole lot of money. I had other stereotypes that told me being a man was the ability to handle your liquor. I had other people that told me being a man meant excelling in sports. And there was, there was a lot of various understanding is of what it means to be a man. Let me tell you what it means to be a man. This is absolutely crucial. To be a man means that you are willing and you are able to take responsibility for yourself and for those who are dependent upon you. To be a man, and I will say to be a woman, is to be willing and able to take responsibility for yourself and for those who are dependent upon you. Now, what does that mean for me? Well, my wife is dependent upon me to be a responsible man. If I am irresponsible, she is going to suffer. I have two young men who sleep under my roof, and they are very dependent upon me still. And if I start to play the boy, they are going to be in trouble. I have a little girl who sleeps in the next room south of me, and she doesn't know it yet, but she is very responsible. She is very dependent upon my ability to be responsible. But what beyond that? Well, my church. If I fail, you suffer to a lesser degree maybe than my family. But have you ever personally known a pastor or an elder or a deacon who has failed? Feels like a knife. What about the people that I'm friends with? They're dependent upon me. Yeah, they're dependent on a lesser degree than my family and my church. But they're still dependent in the sense that they're looking out there. They're looking for men and women to show them what it means to be a man or a woman of God in this dark culture. And I, I submit that I cannot be a good witness. I cannot be a solid example of a man who's taking responsibility for myself and for those who are dependent upon me if you see me smoking some doobie. And I think that this verse is not, is not the primary argument, but is a significant one. This culture has resulted in one in which women are abused and or neglected. Children are left to fend for themselves. Marriage is gutted and trampled through the gutter. All because we have made a culture that has emasculated men and has destroyed us and will destroy us unless we as Christians repent and turn by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit it around. Pray for that daily. And I understand there are those who say that smoking pot and taking a beer or a glass of wine is different. I will leave that to your discretion. I think whatever you do, consider that Paul twice, 
two separate times in the book of 1 Corinthians said something like this, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. You and I are called to live for God's glory. And we are not merely to be legally dominated by anything, including legal addictive stimulants sold at your local Starbucks or legal addictive depressants sold at your local liquor store or legal addictive hashish soon to be sold legally at your local head shop. I'm, I'm convinced 12 months from right now, this day, you will be able to buy dope on, this, on Broadway. It, it's going to happen. Can you do it though? with a clear conscience before the Lord? Now you hopefully have noticed two things about this message. Number one, I didn't tell you not to smoke marijuana. I told you reasons why I don't think you should. But you did not hear me say, don't smoke marijuana. I didn't say that because I believe you need to come to that conclusion yourself one side or the other. The second thing is you didn't hear me yet talk about the legality of what's going to happen after you smoke marijuana. Now this is a very complicated issue. I'm going to drop it in your brains and I'm going to pick it back up when we get to marriage. Just because something is legal, smoking dope for example, doesn't mean that it'll be legal in all circumstances. So a pastor or a deacon or an elder showing up at Grace Baptist Church, hi, they're going to be impaired and therefore, I would say, legally prohibited from doing a good number of things like taking care of children, for example. Michelle, you're not allowed to smoke dope on duty. I'm worried about that. <laughs> But it also leaves a good number of questions unanswered. Many times in the last 20 years, I've had people come in to my pastor's office and say, Pastor, what should I do? Tell me what to do about this. And there have been times that I have fallen to temptation. But generally, my answer has been, here are some principles. So I've given you two handouts. The first one I wrote, so you can write notes, but on the back, I wrote principles to consider about smoking marijuana. And here are some questions. Am I doing this, smoking dope, drinking a six-pack, drinking a bottle of wine, whatever it is, am I doing this to the glorified God? Am I loving my neighbor in doing this? That's a question you need to address. Am I doing whatever it is I'm doing to be intoxicated? That's the clearest verse that we have. Now, whether smoking a joint is intoxication or not, I'm leaving that to your discretion. Is this a treatment, a legitimate treatment for an illness? Maybe. If it is, like I said, there's some anecdotal evidence that marijuana has been effective. Normally, almost all of it though, it's the cannabinoids. It's not the marijuana. It's the chemicals taken, not the marijuana. Am I trusting Jesus' promises while doing this? You can look at this. I left you another sheet, and this is something I did for my college students a long time ago. I went 
and I found some clear examples of God's will for you. People, they, I used to get questions all the time. What is God's will for my life? Well, here, take this sheet. Here's several examples of what's God's will. And then I made, uh, again, this is for my college students, so you might find that some of the things are geared more towards them. But godly decision-making. Here are some clear passages that talk about key verses, key principles for how you can make decisions. If you have any questions beyond that, by all means, give me a call. Call Pastor Benji. We will love to talk to you. And I pray that you will counsel those in your circle or yourself to think carefully, uh, obviously, before smoking dope. Let's pray. Lord Almighty, so many things that we didn't consider because we had to keep this short. But Lord, I pray that you would put into the hearts of your children these principles for making godly decisions. I pray that you would help us to reject the various idols in our hearts, only one of which can be this smoking of marijuana. And I pray that you will give us the grace we need so that we can keep 1 Corinthians 10.31. Whether you eat or whether you drink or whether you smoke or whatever it is that you do, do it all for the glory of God. Give us this because we cannot do it ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen.